0: 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're looking at verses 4 through 7. We're looking at 15 facets of love. If you took a, a prison or, you know, I guess a better term would be a gemstone and you shined love into it, it would come out on 15 facets and it takes all of those facets to be love. And one of the trials and tribulations that existed in the church in Corinth and one of the trials and tribulations that exist in our lives on a daily basis is are we doing it because we have to or are we doing it because of love and we are compelled by the love of God that has been poured into our hearts. All right, uh, I'll pray and then we'll read verses 4 through 7 review and we'll pick it up and run with it, okay? Father, we come before your throne. Uh, King of kings and Lord of lords. What you have given to us overwhelms me every time I even ponder it. And Father, yet you left us this magnificent treasure, your word, your word to instruct us, to comfort us, to counsel us, to convict us, to draw us and to sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Father, help help us who are called by your name, your people to fall absolutely overwhelmingly in love with your word. that Father, we would hold those who would profess to be teachers to the standard of the gospel. And that Father, we would understand the awesomeness of what you're doing. And Father, the privilege to be a part of it. Father, give us ears to hear this day. Father, give us eyes to see this day. And Father, open our souls wide. For the amazing work of Christ through your people. I praise you. I thank you for this time. To your glory. To your praise. Amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered and does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is love. And it basically, if you wanted to look at it, the synopsis of 4 through 7, it's basically the acts of love. Okay, Love, biblically, is never defined. It is only described. And here's the reason God is love. And God doesn't give you a definition. He gives you the characteristic. So when you think about love, you think about God. And how do I think about it? We have it in our minds today. It becomes an emotion. It is a feeling. It is an experience. And none of them are true. Now, love will affect your emotions. Okay? Love will affect experiences. That is not love. That is not love. Okay, love is a verb. It's not an adjective. It has an action to it. The things that we do should be done in love. Why? In verses 1 through 3, he says, If you have the languages of all men and angels, and you do not have love, you're just noisy. If you can speak every language, every ability to communicate, and you do not have love, you're just noisy. If you have the gift of prophecy to speak before and you have all mysteries, you know it all. Absolutely. All right. You have all faith as it move all mountains. You can just you can be the cause for continental drift because you have that much faith and you have not love. You're Nothing. You're absolutely nothing. You are of no value. You profit you nothing. If you give all your possessions to feed the poor, if you surrender your body to martyrdom, and you do not love, it profits you nothing. So what I'm thinking here, when in first three verses, we should probably pay attention to this, huh? Because basically he's saying, whatever you do, if it is not done in love, it is of zero value. Okay, look at the body of Christ today. Okay, collectively, collectively. Is that what you see? And yet, 1 John says, you will know them how? By their love, by their love. And yet, I see people that are mechanical, crunk crump, crump, I'm supposed to do this. It's Sunday morning, it's 9.30. I'm supposed to be at Sunday school at Medica and it's at 4 to 10.45 and I got a better of heavy. You know, all right, we're going to have a, a moving party. So everybody, okay, How I many? no, it should be done in love. It should be done in love. And that's what we've been looking at. And there's, Paul details this. God is love. What does it look like? And then you think about that you have been invaded. Your soul has been invaded. It has been overtaken by the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 says that the love of God has been poured into your heart. And so the ability is there. The ability is there. And he's given us some things here. We've been looking at it. That it suffers long. It suffers long. That love has no boundary in its forgiveness. There's no boundary Free to forgiveness. And it goes even beyond that. It goes to that not only does it not have any boundary in its forgiveness, it is kind. It is useful to those who affa- uh, afflict it. That's amazing. Think about it. Have you ever heard had anybody just really get at you? Push your buttons or whatever you want to call it? Okay? And you get you go into it. I'm supposed to give seven times seventy, and I'm day, and I'll do it this way. I just stay away from them. Okay? Love not only does not stay away from them, it goes back to the person who offended and makes itself useful to the person. Okay, see why I say it's supernatural? It's fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit. One fruit. What is it? Love. And out of that is joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Okay, that's an amazing thought when you think about it. Because it suffers long, because it is kind, it is not jealous. The word jealous here is, 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 is to boil something. To boil something. Uh, it's, it's that that lays underneath it. All right, and it just simmers. You, you've done it before. You've you've had it, and I'm going to get one tell you and I'm gonna get my pound of flesh, and it may take me an eternity, but I'll get it. Okay, somebody hurts you and you just stay away from. Them. You know what? I've seen that happen so many times. I know people who've gotten angry at me years and years and years and years and years ago, and you know what? And they are still angry. It's boiling. It's laying underneath there. It festers, it's like a wound that will never heal. It's an amazing thing. It's like a splinter. You ever had a splinter? And it one I'm talking about one of them deep buggers. It gets down in there and you dig at it with a a pen or whatever is your technique, a knife, whatever, and you just keep digging at it and you think you got it, and the next day you wake up and it's bright red, and a day later it's all infected and all that, and you dig at it a little more, and it just won't go away, won't go away, won't go away. And that's what jealousy is. See, jealousy comes in two parts. Okay, one of the sides of jealousy is I don't I want what you have. The other side of jealousy is I don't want you to have what you have. That's when it gets deep. That's when it gets deep. And you see it. And we spiritualize it. Well, the reason that church is so big is because they're real shallow in their doctrine. What is that? Paul is in jail with the Philippians. And he says, you know what? There are people running around, chapter one of Philippians, he said, there's people running around preaching that God has put me in jail because I am now obsolete. I have no more effect in the ministry. He says, but that's all right. Christ is still being preached. (laughs) Well, get me out of here. I'll fix him. No, he didn't say that. But that's what we do, don't we? Isn't it? You know, I've been in this community long enough to see it all over the place. People who come into this church, they're here for a while. They hang out for a while. They get mad about uh, either me or somebody, and then they go to another church. And they immediately want to do what? Try to find whoever they can. You should come over here. This church is really rocking. We, we got it. You, you need to come here this guy. Why do you do that? Because there's something underneath there that is boiling. Okay? But that's all right. Um, I've seen God lance it. <laughs> that just sounds awful, doesn't it? That thing is infected. I'm going to lance it. Ooh. Anyway. Anyway. But because of the jealousy, it says there that love does not brag. It does not boast. Okay, This is the verbalization of pride. Speaking of pride. C.S. Lewis said this. This is kind of fascinating. This is the utmost evil. It's the essential vice, the vice at the very essence of man. is the speaking of pride. And we spiritualize it. God has blessed me that I have preached on every continent. Really? Did you get any penguins saved in Antarctica? Okay? But they do it. Um, I was so frustrated. There's a group that gets together and prays on Thursday morning and they said that they wanted to um, give adoration to God for what He's doing. Uh, A lot of churches... Uh, suffer in the summer. Uh, Attendance is down, giving is down, and and all the pastors are freaking out. Um, And they said that they wanted to just spend the time, let's spend this prayer time giving adoration to God. And I thought, cool. This this, this is going to be a good one, I can tell. And I proceeded to hear nothing but their own self-aggrandizements. That's all I heard. Um, I didn't even pray. I mean, don't get me wrong, in my spirit I prayed, but I did not verbalize a prayer at all. I had really nothing left to say. And i tell you what, I I cannot tell you how uh, disheartened and um, grieved I was by the time I left. You know, you, you pray for an hour, listen to nine or ten different guys tell God how great it is, um, you just it sort of like takes the wind out of your sails. And, and it's very difficult for me. I, I, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if we hadn't planned on giving God credit. But it just didn't sound, I didn't hear that. Why? John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 49. I have not spoken of myself, Jesus said. And I shared with you a conclusion of last week's message. Can you go a day and say, God, I have not spoken of Myself, Sure would be quiet, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay. But this mouth that we have comes out of something deeper. And that's the next one. And it says that love is not arrogant. Okay. It's deeper than the mouth. When Paul says to us, when Paul says to the Corinthians, love is not arrogant, puffed up. The first term you see brag is not hot air. Okay. The second term in the original language is that it's not puffed up. Okay. Uh, He's telling us, um, he's telling the Corinthians, he may be telling some of us, you don't have any love. So really he's not talking about lost people. He's talking about Save people. You can be ministering with God, for God, with the goal of doing it for God. And if you do it without love, it's zero. You will stand before him, remember? You will stand before him, did you build with wood, hay, or stubble, or did you build with precious stone? You will stand before God and say, here, see this handful of ash I got? I got that for you. The Corinthians were puffed up. The Corinthians were what I call spiritual hotshots. They had arrived. I see people, maybe even in this body, who believe that they have arrived. It's easy to get that attitude. Uh, when, When you get sound doctrine, it is easy to let the doctrine become the emphasis and you can have sound doctrine but if you have sound doctrine let's say you got deep doctrine you got deep stuff I understand some amazing things and you don't have love what do you got? what do you got? how many people do you see in Christendom today that have all the answers? you know I've watched people come to me before and they'll ask me a question and I'll look at them and say I don't know And they go, what? I don't know. (laughs) I've never really looked at it. Never thought about it. And I'm not sure there's anything in there that I've ever stumbled upon that said it was about it. How how can you be a pastor? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It just just proves God's playing games. He has a joke. I'm God's candid camera. And if you don't know what that show was, then you're a punk. <laughs> I thought about that after I came out of my mouth. I said, these people may not know what I'm talking about. You're old. You married him. Um, <laughs> let me share with you what it is. Chapter 4, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. Now some have become... What does it say? Arrogant. Some have become puffed up. Why? As though I were not coming. You know what was going on? We don't need Paul here. We had Paul. He founded us. Then we had Apollos. That was Paul's man. Paul put Apollos. We had Cephas. Cephas came. He taught. We've had the cream of the crop. We don't need you to come back, Paul. And he says, and some of you are puffed up thinking that I don't need to come back. I don't need to come back and straighten this out for you. We have it. We've arrived. I've got it handled. There's nothing for you to tell us, Paul. Look at the teaching we've been under. What do we need? They were puffed up about their knowledge. They were puffed up about their supposed spiritual state. And yet I don't know who the elders were. I don't know if there were any elders. There's nothing mentioned here. He gets on the prophets in chapter 14 and says, you guys need to straighten this mess out. Chapter 4, verse 6. Now these things. Now he uses himself in Apollos as an illustration Okay, look what he says in verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to read this well, my friends. Read this well. We get theological knowledge. We study it. I can parse some Greek verbs. I have a Greek study Bible. All right? I have strongs numbers. I can transfer them all over the place. I have been through this study. You know, I graduated from school. Look what he says here. Verse 6. <clears throat> so that in us you may what? Learn not to exceed what is written. What happens? We start saying, I think I know what this means. You know what the implications are here. As soon as I hear that word, I shut off what they're going to say. It's not in a text. If it's not in a text, he says you don't need it. Are there implications? Probably. But he says, I will give you what you need for life and godliness. But what happens is we get prideful. We get puffed up. I watch debate after debate after debate over the sons of God. Are they angels? Are they people? And I watched people. Read the text. The text is very clear. Read the text. Well, I believe that... There you go. It's not in the text. It's not in the text. Be real careful. You know, I've watched people. How many times have you been told why Jonah left and went, to, went down to get on the boat? You know what's amazing? It's not in the text. It never says why did Jonah leave. Well, he didn't want to go to the Ninevites. That's presupposition. It's not in there. It doesn't say why he ran from God. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was anointed of God. Why did he think he could get away from God? It's not in the text. It's not in the text. Why? He says your knowledge is now taking you to a place. What happens? you will start creating your own theology. Why? Because the Bible says, therefore it must imply. What's in the church today? You know, I I listen to people teach on parables, and it is like somebody taking fingernails on a chalkboard for me. Because a parable is a riddle that is not, unless the answer is given, you don't know what the answer is. And I watch people take stuff out of parables and go, oh my God, where did you get that? If Jesus Christ didn't explain the parable, then he says you don't need to know the answer. What does the text say? What was happening to the Corinthians? What is happening to the church in America today? Okay, have you ever heard this one? Where two or more gathered in my name, I am there. And therefore you should pray. You know what? That text has absolutely nothing to do with prayer. My Bible says, you pray, I'm there. I don't care if you're on a desert island, I'm there. And you don't have to have two of you to get along to get it to happen. That really has to do with church discipline. If two people agree that this person is in sin, then I am there. That's the text. But we say, no, it means pray. No, that's not what it means. And the Apostle Paul says, your arrogance has lifted you up so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. That's what he says. Don't be puffed up thinking that all of a sudden you know more. And he says, here, I give you an illustration. Who? Myself and Apollos. Don't think more about what is written because if you do, you will become puffed up. Puffed up. Listen, take a biblical evaluation of yourself and go no further. That's the issue. That's the issue. I have people who... uh, who lay things on me that they believe I need to be because you're the pastor, you're the preacher, you need to do this, you need to do that. And where's the biblical presentation for it? You know, I, that's what gets me into most trouble when I meet with pastors. Where is that in the Bible? Why? I, you know what? Yeah, there's things I can do to keep people from stumbling. Absolutely. But I can't do everything for everybody to keep everybody from stumbling. Oh my gosh. And if we're expecting that, you need to get a new guy. Paul says, take a biblical evaluation. Stop being puffed up. Stop thinking that you're spiritually superior. Stop. See, here's what happens. When people get theology, they get good, solid, deep teaching consistently, over and over and over again. You know what happens? Every time, They start getting intellectual superiority. And it raises up. It's real. It doesn't just go boom. It's just real gentle. It's real gentle. It's one of the things that drives me nuts about quote unquote biblical counseling. You really believe that you can go to a four year, a six year, eight year degree program and come out and are now qualified to deal with the souls of people. And you're going to get it out of a, a piece of parchment. And now you're ready? Really? What is that? That's arrogance. That's arrogance. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this For who regards you as superior? Who thinks you're superior? That's what he says. What do you have that you did not receive? So, how can you be superior? It was given to you. So how can you be superior? You didn't earn it. It was given to you. You received it. So how can you ever be superior? But in the inner side of man, how tough is it? Tell me, do you fight with this? Just kind of raises up. Somebody comes and asks you a question. You know what? I have an answer to everybody's question that deals with every Christian. Did you know that? I have the answer to every one of them. I just don't know it. Why? But I've received it. I wish that you guys, uh, people say, well, how did you get on? I just read it. And it's taken me some time, by the way. I didn't just, you know, tomorrow I'm going to read the whole Bible and then on Thursday I'll be a counselor. No, I keep reading it. And every time I read it over and over again, it just drives me nuts. That text in verse 6. Why didn't I pick that up the first time through when I taught it? Don't ex- exceed outside of the written word. Why did I miss that? I read this book every day. And all of a sudden, here I'm getting with arrogance. And all of a sudden, I said, wow, look, this right there, man. You can get puffed up because you start thinking you know more than what the Bible even says. Dealing with humanity is easy. Repent. That ain't complicated. Yeah? Try to get somebody to do it. I tell you what, you come into the, bondi- the bondage, Freudian slip. I was going to say, the bond of marriage. <laughs> Michael, here well. <laughs> the bonds of marriage, and it says the two are what? One. One. So, Your wife, in my case, my wife steps into rebellion against God. Do you dare tell her? And can you fix it by telling her? No, you will cause her stumble. She'll hit you with a frying pan. Right? Let me show you sin, Bubba. Watch this. What makes you different, Paul says? What makes you superior if everything you've got, you've received? How can you be superior? How can you be superior? I I look at this as what I call a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. Okay? And you're going to fight with it. Well, if it isn't such and such teaching, why should I? I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. Really? How do you know God doesn't bring a person, an individual into your life? You know, some of the greatest things that I have learned have learned from infant Christians. The problem is, we will get some deep theology and we start walking in that theology and what do you have to offer to my intellect? See what I mean? It's so subtle. Look at verse... Um, eight. Now then, you know, I love this te- this flow of text. Uh, my wife gets on me a number of different times consistently on being sarcastic. And I just say, following Paul. And then then, then I wake up from being hit with a pan. Uh, and I make a note, Paul didn't, wasn't married. <laughs> Be careful. Okay. <laughs> For who regards you as superior, he says in 7? Look at what he says in verse 8. You're already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. You've arrived. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. Because see, Paul was smart enough to say, you know what, if you've arrived, I get to go too. I get to go too. You've received it. What do you have to be puffed up about? How can you be arrogant about this if you received it? Listen, in spite of the fact that there is nothing to boast about, in spite of the fact you've received it as a gift from God, in spite of the fact that it's God who makes you different you still think you're something higher than yourself. Look at verse 8. You're already arrived. Look what he says in verse 9. I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are outcasts of the world. Everybody thinks we're crazy as loons. They think we're Bible thumpers. But I'm glad you've arrived. I'm glad you've got it. I'm glad you're ruling. It's so cool to see you so well off. Verse 10 says, We are fools for Christ's sake. But you're prudent in Christ. We are weak and you're strong. You're distinguished. We are without honor. Interesting phrasing, isn't it? You're the big shots. The apostles are last. That's okay. They're bragging about their supposed spiritual state, and yet they're grossly carnal, and that is all coming from the inside of the puffed up. I am, I'm important. I am important. How silly is it? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It's present tense there. It literally can be translated, it is universally reported, Okay, actually reported depending on your text, that there's immorality. The word there, immorality, is porneia, sexual sin among you. And it's a sexual sin of such a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles. It's common knowledge... That there is sexual sin in the body of Christ. It's common knowledge. Both saved and lost know this. You have become arrogant, verse 2 says. You have become puffed up and you have not mourned about it. You think you've arrived that you have sexual sin in your church and you think that that's some kind of step up in knowledge. How insane are you is what Paul is basically saying. You are so conceited that you are actually have sexual f- sin as freedom. Now, that there, buddy, if that's what you call feeding the flesh. That's what you call feeding the flesh. Chapter eight, verse one. Not concerning things sacrificed to idol, we know that we all have knowledge. And knowledge makes what? Puffed up. Same word. Puffed up. But it says love strengthens. Love puffs up. Or knowledge puffs up. And love builds up big difference. See, they were puffed up about their biblical knowledge. We don't need Paul to come back here. We've already arrived. Listen, here's what happens. I want you to understand this. Second Corinthians, you see it. They start having doctrinal issues. Why? When your flesh leads, then your flesh will seek out whatever it is that will entertain it, that will feed it, that will satisfy it that will compromise it make me feel better and then you start moving into doctrinal error and in 2nd Corinthians you see doctrinal error why? false teachers were now getting able to come into the church in Corinth, the church that lacked no gifts and then in 2nd Corinthians he starts saying you've got to be on guard against this why? you spent too much time letting your flesh lead and because your flesh has been leading you are now opening yourself up to error Why? He says there in chapter 4, do not go beyond what is written. And what do we do? What do we do? What do you see today? We go beyond what is written. And we start doing sin and validating it as freedom. Knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies. They were puffed up about their knowledge. They were puffed up. Do you think about this? They were arrogant about their sexual sin. They were arrogant about their spiritual status, their supposed spiritual status. We lack no gifts. When the congregation came together on whatever day they worshipped, everybody would get up and start talking at once. Someone had the gift of teaching, they'd start teaching. You'd have a prophet, he'd start prophesying. Gift of tongues would start speaking in some language. An interpreter would start interpreting something. Somebody would do a solo. Somebody would do a duet. And it's all going on at the same time. What is that? What is that? They were puffed up about certain teachers. They were puffed up about their spiritual gifts and they were using them to lord it over other people. See what happens with lovelies? See, it's an arrogance that's in the inner. Okay, It's it's, it's in the heart of the man and it bursts out the mouth the hot air of bragging. That's amazing. Love is not puffed up. Conceit says, I'm better than you. Love says, just the opposite. You're better than me. Conceit wants everybody to know about them. Love wants to know all about you. You ever seen that? How often do we walk into a room and you have a whole bunch of people talking about themselves? It comes out their mouth, it's hot air. But where did it start? It starts in the inner man. Some of you guys remember Henry Piointech? I remember one time a, a guy walked through the church <laughs> and Henry was sitting there. Henry was—he uh, was a survivor of the and so he—he'd been through—he'd been through some stuff. Anyway, he was sitting there, and this guy comes walking through. Henry shook, kind of tilted his head sideways like this, and he looked at him. He says, "Now there goes a peacock." And I knew what he was saying. And he looks over at me, and he says, "And I wrote this down. It's been stuck in my mind for a long time. Empty trucks make the most noise." I used to load trucks for a living. And uh, you're right. Okay? And if you don't understand what I just said, <laughs> you will one of these days. But I thought about that when I think about this because we I see it in people in the way they carry themselves, where they walk. Okay? But I've also seen it that empty trucks make the most noise. Okay, uh, my grandfather's statement was this. uh, It's better to be quiet and thought stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. And it's true. I mean, think about John 12, 49. I have spoken of nothing of myself. How often in our conversation it's about me. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about this topic. I'm just going to go quickly through it. We do not have enough time between now and the second coming to cover what Proverbs says about pride. But you can just write these down. I'll just cruise through them. Chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Did you get that? All right. did Did you see a coalition here? This isn't something God is sort of upset about. He hates it. Okay, And he's classifying it as the evil way. Why? It's a perverted mouth. A perverted mouth brags. In chapter 11, verse 2. Oops, went too far. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Chapter 13, verse 10. Through insolent comes nothing but strife. But wisdom is with those who receive counsel. The word insolent there is pride. Okay? What he's basically saying is, in, in chapter 13, verse 10, is that you, if you have pride, you will always be in a fight. If you are humble, you will never be in a fight. You don't think I... When I make a statement, I, I can cure all of your woes? I can Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but all humility consider others more important than yourself. You will never ever have a problem ever again. Okay, go do it. I mean, it's that simple. The only time that you ever have a conflict with somebody is when. When you're right. They're wrong. They just don't know it. And I'm going to beat it into them. I won't talk to him for a month. (laughs) Show them who's right and wrong. You know what I've learned the hard way? You and I ain't the Holy Spirit. I can't make you see it if I want to. I mean, there's times I've taught up here and said, "You know, that one left." You'll never ever have a fight if arrogance is gone. If you're not puffed up, it's impossible. tough though. Chapter 16, verse 18 of the book of Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction. haughty spirit before stumbling. Puffed up. Puffed up. Chapter 29 and it goes on and on and on. Chapter 29, verse 23 says a man's pride brings him low and humble spirit will obtain honor. Humble spirit will attain honor. Listen, love is not big headed. It ain't a spiritual hotshot. It's not big headed, it's big hearted. John the Baptist is an amazing man, really, if you think about it. This man is a hero. He's coming out against the religious establishment, he's showing the error. Okay. He's a prophet. He definitely has a message of God. He has power in what he's doing. And not only that, he's out in the wilderness. Now, I've seen this place. Okay. Where he was. And it is an understatement to say he was out in the wilderness. There ain't even weeds growing out there. The only thing that's out there is rocks and dirt. Okay. And you know what's amazing about John the Baptist? the people and masses were coming to him. Masses of people were flowing out of Jerusalem to hear John the Baptist. Masses and multitudes and multitudes. And he wasn't preaching icky, sentimental stuff. He's saying, you need to get ready. Repentance is at hand. All right. And I mean, he was calling a spade a spade. And it wasn't, you know, well, you should have said it this way, John. They wouldn't have cut your head off. No, he cut it right straight and it was piercing and everybody was enthroned by what he was saying. He had a powerful, powerful ministry. Thousands and thousands of people would leave the comfort of their homes in Jerusalem, go down to the Jordan, across the Jordan, into this desolate desert area to hear this man. He looks to Christ and say, I must decrease, he must increase. Basically what John was saying, the sooner you forget about John the Baptist, the better I'm going to like it. an interesting concept. Does anybody know who the pastor or the elders were of the church in Thessalonica? No. You know, there's never been a time in the history of the church there's not been an evangelical white in Thessalonica. And yet we still to this day don't know who the pastors were. We don't know who the elders were. Why? Read the first two chapters of 1 Thessalonians you'll see it. Why? Why? They realized that everything they had, they had received. The faith that they had, they received from Christ. They knew that the hope that they had was from Christ. They knew that the love that they had was from Christ. And Paul gives them three chapters and says, you guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. And they were crazy. You know, one of the things that I, I was told, is says, Terry, you're never afraid to ask a question, no matter how stupid it is. And the question I asked was pretty stupid. It was a long time ago. Okay? I still have stupid questions. But you know what? I pray and I'd ask that you pray for me to always have a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. I need to hear what God's saying. And God will use every mouth around me. M- many of you have ministered to me and you never even know you ministered to me. I mean, I'm not going to send you a card and say, hey, thanks for the ministry. Why? it would build up your heads. And you guys don't have any problem with that. I ain't going to do it. Why? Why should I? Do you really have to have that? Listen, if you need attaboys from me, then you need to see Jesus. Listen, if John the Baptist can have a ministry where thousands of people were coming out into the desert to see him and to hear him, and he wasn't being friendly. I mean, it wasn't like you say, hey, eh, nah, love, peace, tranquility. Let's everybody now, three-part harmony of kumbaya. No, he wasn't doing it. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. And he says, you know what? You need to forget about me and follow Christ. What do you see today? What do you see in the Corinthian church? I see it today. See, love is superior to eloquence of speech. Love is superior to spiritual insight. Love is superior than all knowledge. Love is superior to all faith. Love is superior to charity and martyrdom even. And love which suffers long and is kind love that is the only power in this world that can save us from the stupid swagger of boastfulness and indulging in envy. And that's what these do. And that's what he's getting at here. That's what he's getting at here. We need to hear this. We need to know this. Why? Simple. You can't do it. Only He can do it. And when He does it, then you get overwhelmed. But what's really cool about it, everybody around you gets overwhelmed also. Okay? Love is long-suffering. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. And love is not puffed up. (laughs) Another 11 weeks, we'll be done. (laughs) Father, I just praise you for this time. I praise you for your word. And Father, I praise you that you've given the love, your love, that you showed us on Calvary and poured it into our hearts. Father, help us. Help us to... Help us to walk in a manner worthy. Father, help us to walk in a way that we decrease and that you increase. Father, help us to hear and to see as you see and as you hear. Father, help us to keep our mouths shut and our ears open. Father, help us to pick up the bruised reed. And Father, walk with it. Father, let us not, uh, help us, let us not become puffed up. Help us to love as you love. Help us to walk as you walk. Help us to love as you love. We beg you. Thank you. In Christ's name.